We are in the middle of a series called Transform. This is actually part six. Uh, we're in part six of a study. Um, last week, we talked in part five, chapter five. If you missed that, ser- or that sermon, please go back and listen to it on JesusChurch.life. We started to get into the practical. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all doctrinal, theological, um, what you... Um, who God is and who God is to us. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are very practical. This is how you walk it out. So last week was the beginning of that, talking about the practicality. And the main theme that we're talking about is that Jesus has made you a new creation in Him. And even though there are times where you might not feel like it or you might not act like it, you are indeed a new creation in him. By definition, you have been made new already. And so what sanctification is, is realizing and walking out ways so that we can become who God has already created us to be. So last week we talked about how a lot of times we'll walk back to dead ways of thinking or dead ways of acting or dead ways of talking And what we need to get ourselves out of that and remember that we don't need to go back to those dead things or the illustration I gave last week was what Proverbs talks about with vomit. Like a dog returns to a vomit, so a fool returns to his ways. A lot of times we'll go back to those dead ways that were terrible and awful and made us feel bad. And the way that we realize that those things are not what we need now is one, by going to God's word. And two, being around other people that can say, what are you doing eating puke? Right? And so that's, we need each other for that. And so that was last week. This week we continue as Paul writes this amazing book, one of 44 different authors in the, in the Bible. Obviously God is the author, but uses Paul actually to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And the book of Ephesians is so beautiful, so powerful, so practical. And so this morning we'll continue on talking about how we daily follow Jesus. Because as you daily walk with him, it will daily change the way that your life plays itself out. And it will become better and better and better. So uh, we're going to go through Ephesians 5 verses 1 through 2 and then jump through to 15 through 21. This is in the ESV. This is what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I want to read this also in the message because it's so clear and it's so, um, it's so well written. This is what it says in the message, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Watch what God does and then you do it. It's pretty practical. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly, what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? Love like that goes on in verse 15 through 21 in the ESV. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. You know, I'm so glad that I'm a new creation. I'm so glad that you're a new creation, that we don't have to go back to dead ways of living, dead ways of thinking, dead ways of doing, that we can live a life that is truly new. And I am committed in 2017, and this church is committed, and I pray that you would be committed in 2017, that we would live more like the person that God has called us and made us to be. That we would be less angry, that we would be less frustrated, that we would be less frazzled by the things and the situations and the scenarios that life will throw at us. And that we will truly live life as the new you and the new me. But let's give this time to God. Father, we lift up this time to you. Lord, we thank you that you are here. God, we thank you that you have a word for every single one of us, Jesus. And we uh, embrace that word. We uh, expect it, Lord. And we say, Lord, please do a new thing in us today, Lord. We, we believe that uh, you are here, Lord. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, conform us to the image of your Son. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. I love coming off of a cold because I sound more authoritative. Um, whenever I, uh, this isn't my story, but um, whenever I get sick, I always uh, record my voicemail when I sound like this because I feel cooler. Um, anyways, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but how, how many of you guys ever grew up doing chores? Anyone? You guys do chores? Oh, you guys do chores? Yeah? No? Maybe? Yeah? You think you do? Um, I had some chores growing up. I didn't like chores. Uh, I wasn't good at chores. My main chores were cleaning up after the dog and mowing the yard when I was a kid. And in Washington, you don't actually mow grass. You, you mow moss, right? Like, if you are from the Northwest, you know what moss is. You guys down here are like, what is that? Yes, yes. Absolutely. And so I hated chores. I never wanted to do them. I wasn't even very good at them. In fact, I think my parents didn't like me doing chores either, but they wanted me to learn some responsibility or they're afraid that this child will never move out of our house. And so they, they made me do chores. Uh, now it's not called chores. It's called responsibilities. And as an adult, you have to do those. My main responsibility is taking out the trash. Um, that's not my only responsibility. Come on, but I, I do, I take out the trash, and usually our trash goes out on Wednesday uh, mornings. And I'm sure there's a lot of you, like me, that we always forget, even though it's always on the same day, at the same time, Tuesday night rolls around, and you totally forget that it is, the next morning is, is Wednesday, and the trash is coming out. So like 4.30 in the morning, you hear this awful sound of screeching dumpster tires, and you, like, are struggling, trying to figure out where you are. Like, I have to get up and take out the trash, and it's cold, and now it's rainy out, and I got to throw on clothes, and I don't want to miss the trash. Um, and it's not so bad now, but when I lived in the Northwest, it was terrible, because around this time of the year, it is pitch black and freezing cold. And I don't know about you, but I don't like the dark. Like, the dark is not a good thing. Like, I moved to Arizona for the sunshine. And so, like, going, if I'm going to walk out in the dark to the side of my house, which is dark, I, if somebody's going to kill me, I at least want to see their face before they do it. 
And, and so it's not that I'm afraid of the dark at all. Don't misunderstand me. But I just prefer the light. Like, that's what Jesus says. Prefer the light over the darkness. So I'm being a good Christian by not liking the darkness. Um, but I've, I've really, to be honest, I've always hated the dark. I, I don't know. My kids hate the dark. They sleep with nightlights. I always, like, I had this little spot on the side of my bed that I could, like, sneak under if I thought the killers were coming to get me at night. But um, I actually had some friends, and they lived down the street from me about maybe a block away. And I lived up on top of a hill. And so I would go and hang out with them, and we'd watch movies at night. And then after the movie, I would have to walk home. And there's this big vacant lot that I'd have to walk through. And so it'd be late and it'd be dark out. And I already don't like the darkness. And like there's, this is Washington, the Green River Killer is around. And, and I'm like, I'm leaving. And my friend's mom would always offer to walk me home. Of course, I cannot accept that even though I want to. I'm like, oh no, it's okay. So I'd walk out of the house and I would walk up about halfway to this vacant lot and then dead sprint, like all the way home. Like my hundred time was so fast when I was running up that hill. It was amazing because I was positive that somebody was going to murder me. And you guys are like, gosh, this kid thought he was going to get murdered a lot when he was a child. Um, but there's also this other thing, and you can laugh at me for this because it's true. Um, I thought I was going to get abducted by aliens. I totally thought walking home I'd get abducted by aliens in the dark. And we watched this one movie about a guy who gets abducted by aliens. And it was the scariest, fastest I've ever run in my life. And, you know, it wasn't that somebody was actually there. And I would leave and I would walk, and then I would sprint as fast as I could, and then I'd get home, and I'd walk again, like, oh, yeah, there's no big deal. And my, my pace would change. I would be fa- or slow, and then fast, and then slow again, and um, there was never anyone there. There was never aliens that were going to abduct me, I don't think. Um, but my pace was always different. And today in the scriptures that we're looking at, Paul, he alludes to this idea of a constant pace, um, this idea that our walk Every single day should be similar. It shouldn't be high highs and then low lows or walking and then sprinting for our lives and then walking again. But we should have a consistent pace in our walk with Jesus. And so in verse 15, what he's saying is, um, look carefully then. Basically what he's saying is, so having established what I've established so far, I want you to look at the consistency of your behavior. Or to some of us, the inconsistency of our behavior. Because I know, and I'll just be honest, in my life, there's a lot of times where I am very inconsistent in the way that I walk my life out. There's some days where I feel like I am walking with total confidence, feeling on top of the world, everything's great, thank you Jesus. I could have the faith to do anything and walk on water, but then a scenario will change or something will happen in my life. And all of a sudden I find myself from walking a steady, strong pace to running for my life, hoping that the killers or the aliens don't come and get me. And my actions and my emotions and my behavior, sometimes they're just all over the place. And so I have to look at what Paul's saying. And, and what he's really saying is consider the way that your walk is on a daily basis with Jesus. And to be honest, a lot of times this is nothing short of alarming. When I can see that I can be so filled with faith and confidence. And one negative report. And all of a sudden, I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know if God's there. 
I don't know what's happening. And, and the honest truth is that the human condition by nature is inconsistent. And so Paul, he's pleading with us as well as these uh, ancient Christians in Ephesus to live a consistent life. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. So before Paul gets in, remember, this is such a practical part of of the book. So we're going to get very, very practical this morning. And so Paul's saying, before you look at the actions and the behaviors that should be a part of your life, take an inventory just for a moment to see what is your daily life like. And not just on Sundays, but what does your Monday look like? What does your Tuesday look like? How consistent is your daily life? Do you have those high highs and then those devastating lows? How influenced are you by your circumstances instead of by your Savior? Is it a positive report gets you really high and then a negative report brings you all the way back down? Or you hear the news and get fearful and feel like God maybe isn't in control? Or you look at your bank account and wonder where is God? Or your job or your boss is not treating you the way that you think they could? How consistent is your journey with Jesus? And let me tell you, this isn't always a fun thing to look at because it can quickly get discouraging. It can quickly get to the point where I evaluate my daily pace and I realize that, man, this, this isn't going the way that Paul says it should be going. And so looking at an average week, how consistent are you? How consistent am I? And like I said, not just Sunday, but on your Mondays and your Tuesdays and every day. And so Paul, he says, look carefully then, or so then. And this is in reference to the first two verses. So verse 15 is pointing back to verse 1 and 2. And so in verse 1 and 2 in the message again, I'm going to read it just to reiterate what it says. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was, was not ca- with caution, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give us everything, give everything of himself to us. Love like that. And what Paul is saying here to you and me is now that you've experienced the most powerful, greatest, most extravagant love in history, do you come to your Mondays angry? Or irritable, or mean, or selfish, complaining, gossiping. Because we need to watch the way that God did it. And whenever it says watch God in the Bible, we have to remember that Jesus came, God came as a man in full 4K 3D. And so what it's saying here is look at Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. And in light of who Jesus was in the way that Jesus modeled life for us, live like him, think like him, act like him. How do your Mondays look like compared to the walk that Jesus showed us? And this is humbling. This is humbling to me. It's been humbling all week as I've digested this and looked at the words of, of Paul. Because there are some times where I know that I run into something and my walk doesn't look anything like Jesus' walk. 
And so as, as Paul talks in verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And thank God that Paul gets practical here because I'm thinking, how in the world do I do this? Because I know this is something that's speaking to me. I know this is something that I deal with every single week with those great times and those low times. And so what Paul starts with is if you want to look like Jesus, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, in verse 16, he starts to explain. It says, um, look carefully how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. So Paul connects wisdom with how important and essential time is. He's associated wisdom and time. So, So those who are wise understand how precious time is. So are we being wise and utilizing our time that we have on this life? Are you using your time wisely or are you allowing life to just pass you by because there isn't that much time left? And so we have to be wise if we want to look like Jesus. And the way that you are wise is by utilizing and taking note of the time that we have. So what does it mean using time wisely? Well, he goes on to explain even what that means in verse 17. says, therefore, do not be foolish. So how do we look like Jesus? How do we look at the love that Jesus had and imitate that love? How do we walk in a way that is, is steady and on pace? It says, one, you need to be wise. What does it mean to be wise? You maximize your time. How do you maximize your time? Don't be foolish. Use the mind that God gave you. Remember last week we talked about the mind of the Gentiles. Gentiles represented those who did not have a covenant relationship with God, whose minds were not redeemed. When you cannot, when your mind is not redeemed by God, you cannot contemplate your Savior, which is the main job of your mind, is to contemplate the Savior that you have. And so when you use your mind as a foolish person, you're using it in a way that isn't redeemed. And we have to remember that our minds have been redeemed, so we act not thoughtlessly, but with thought. We don't approach every day foolishly or without thinking about it, but we're intentional, intentional about what we are doing. How do you use your mind? Because it's infused with the power of God. It is no longer futile. Your mind no longer is a failure, but it is filled with the Spirit of God. And he goes on to say, but understand the will of the Lord. Now, the will of the Lord, what Paul's talking about here, isn't so much that God wants you to be a businessman or God wants you to be a school teacher or a pastor or a politician or a policeman. He has a will for you. But in this, it's saying, be aware of God's bigger plan. What is God's bigger plan? Oh, yeah, it's saving humanity. That is the will of God. That is the bigger plan of God. He's ushering in a new era of relationship between God and man, which is based off the sacrifice of Jesus. So now all of a sudden I can step back from the pain and the anxiety and the anger and the fear and realize that my life is part of something that is bigger than my job. That my life is bigger than some relationship that has gone south or sickness or even disease. That God is in charge and he has a bigger plan and he wants you to be a a part of that bigger plan. So be a part of that. Use your brain and use your time wisely and then you can look like God. You can look like Jesus and you can love the way that he does and live in consistency. So as you follow that train of thought, 
That's when life can really start to progress for you and you can start to live this pace that Paul is calling us to live. Now in verse 18, it goes sort of into left field. This is sort of random, or it seems random at first until you understand what Paul's talking about. Because he says, now uh, quit drinking so much alcohol. (laughs) He goes from your life should look like Jesus to you are wise making good use of your time, or are you wise making good use of your time, to understanding God's grand plan for the earth, to, hey, you're drinking too much wine. It says, do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery. And what that really means is it leads to really, really bad decisions and a really bad headache the next day um, that you're going to regret in the morning, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's be very clear. Every Jesus follower, if you have accepted Jesus in your life, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have been filled with the Spirit. There's a subsequent filling called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is powerful and amazing. And I believe that every single one of us should be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what is being talked about here. Because the the baptism of the Holy Spirit is completely dependent on God. It's not something that you can do enough things to say, okay, now I'm worthy of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's something that comes from God. It's a gift from God that we ask for, but he gives it to us. But when Paul is talking here about being filled with the Spirit, it's the idea of being continually, intentionally filled with the Spirit. It's actually taking steps to be filled. And the contrast between the being drunk with wine or being filled with the Spirit is in Paul's day, wine was very weak. And in order to get drunk, you had to drink a whole lot of it. You had to drink pretty much all day long in order to get drunk. And so Paul knows his audience. He knows that these are new Christians and some of them have gotten um, a very bad headache on the next day after drinking. And so they understand what it takes to get drunk with wine. And so what Paul is saying is that as much as it takes tons of time and effort to be filled with wine in a way that you become drunk, it takes just as much effort to be filled with the Spirit. You have to be intentional about it. You have to drink a whole lot of the Spirit. Okay, so um, he's laying this out in very simple terms. Does your life look like Jesus? No? Well, you need wisdom. Why? To make the most of your time. How? By asking God, what are you doing in this earth? Now, your life, in your life, there are beverages. Don't get drunk with those beverages. And in the same way that you have to be intentional of doing that, do that now with the Spirit. Instead, you see, this is all a setup. Walk on pace with God, which allows you to love. And the way you do that brings you to being filled with the Spirit. And he makes a practical illustration that everyone of his day would understand that you need a lot of wine to get drunk and you need a lot of spirit of the Spirit every single day. Now, then the question leads, okay, this is practical how in the world do I drink the Spirit? Like, do I get a cup? <laughs> like, do I go to 7-Eleven and, and fill up my 68-ounce or whatever, 128-ounce? This is what it goes on to say in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I want to first look at these first three words. 
addressing one another. You want to know how to be filled with the Spirit? You want to know how to live a paced, steady life and to look like Jesus and love like Him? It says address one another. And that rages against the society that we live in, the introverted bent that we have in the world that we live in that says, I just need me. And I don't need anyone else around me. Even inside of Christian circles, there are people who say, hey, I I just need me and God. I, I don't need anyone else. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be in community with other Christians. But this says you have to address one another. And if we aren't careful, we start to individualize Christianity when Christianity has always been a co-op. Christianity was designed for community. And so Paul is saying, investigate your individual life, but realize in order to change, you need an environment in which you can be addressed. Now, how do we address one another? It says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So he's saying, I want you to sing together. You think, why do we sing in the mornings? Why does our band get up here? Is it to fill time because we have to get through an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning and so Aaron can't talk that long, so we'll just throw up some songs and sing? No, it has nothing to do with that. It says that we need to sing. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying in order to be who God has called you to be and be filled with the Spirit, we have to sing together. We have to lift up these words. And what happens is that when you sing, the people around you benefit from it. So guess what? Songs aren't just about you. And it's not just about your preference. It's not about what you're just saying to God. Yes, we bless God with the words that we sing, but you bless one another as well. That's part of why we sing, because it says addressing one another. How do you get filled with the Spirit? By addressing addressing one another with psalms hymns, and spiritual songs. And when you do that and those words go out from your lips and other people hear them and are edified by those words, your faith faith will grow and their faith will grow as well. And then it says, I want you to make a melody in your heart. That word melody means to resonate. Resonate who God is to God. And those around you will feel that and they'll be strengthened and you'll be strengthened. And as a community, we'll come together and be more like Jesus, more steady, more on pace, more able to show the world that we live in who Jesus is and the love that he has for the world around them. Not living in a way that is chaotic or, or freaking out all the time or, or not able to even focus on the world around us because we're so much dealing with the life that we're trying to make sense of. It's walking on pace for the gospel and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That we would engage with the words that come out of our mouth because those words are words of life. And I don't know about you, but I know if words are that powerful, if the words of life that I speak can bless and grow faith in other people and faith in myself, How scary is it when I speak words of death? You know what Proverbs 18, uh, 21 says? It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. When we sing, when we use words, 
when we lift up the name of God, those are words of life. But in the same way, when we gossip and we talk down to people and we talk and complain and just grumble all the time, those are words of death and they affect people just as much as those words of life. See, we don't, we don't come here just for karaoke. We come here to be filled with Jesus. And when you hear me sing and I hear you sing, even if it's not on key, it edifies and blesses you. Trust me, it blesses you, even if it doesn't sound like it. And it says in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. James, if you could come up. How do you get filled with the Spirit? You need to get together and you need to sing. And please understand what's implicit in talking about singing here is encouraging. It's praying for. It's talking about Jesus. It's edifying each other. It's admonishing one another in the Lord. It's you saying something and me not just being a know-it-all and be like, oh yeah, I already know that. But saying, wow, that is amazing what you said. And I'm going to take that for the rest of my life. And that is going to change my perspective on my everyday walk. You see, we need each other. And if we will address one another, we will stay filled with Jesus. It's so crucial to understand the necessity of the community that God's built. This isn't some club. This isn't just something that we do on Sunday morning so we feel better about ourselves. This is because if we want to have a life that loves like Jesus, that is consistent like Jesus, we have to be together in the church of Jesus. Giving thanks always and for everything. Paul says, don't forget to thank God all the time. You know what the most indicting thing that Israel did in the Old Testament, the people of God did time after time after time, was grumbling and complaining. So part of this equation is giving thanks to God all the time. Not having an outlook that complains. Because when you complain, you're literally ignoring God and his goodness in your life. So we aren't a complaining people. We are a thankful people. We are a grateful people. That knowing that in all things I can realize that God is in control. That God is sovereign. And I can thank him. And when I thank God and I know that he's above my problems, then I don't have to run. I can walk, and I can walk confidence because my foundation underneath me is the Lord. And when I sing songs and you sing songs, we remind ourselves that our foundation is the Lord. So how do we have an encouraging Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just on Sunday? It's by getting together. It's by having coffee. It's by being around one another. It's by worshiping in our car. And someone next to you sees you and you're like, hey, you don't know it. I look weird, but I'm blessing you. (laughs) They might not even know what words you're saying, but you're blessing them. Giving thanks always and for everything. I will thank you, God, for a new day. For a new start, for a new beginning. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know how sin creeps into your life and causes you to run 
like you're scared that everything's falling away. It's because you stop being grateful. You know how adultery happens? You stop being grateful for your wife. It's how it gets in there. It's insidious. And it's so, um, it, it, it's so sneaky the way that it works. And then in verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that's not fun. <laughs> I have to submit. If I want to be filled with Jesus, God says yield to one another. And he goes on to talk about the beautiful function of marriage and how husbands and wives should function. But before that, he says, in the community of God, I want you to submit to one another. One another. I want you to prefer one another. I want you to yield to each other's expertise or gifts or abilities. That there may be a mutual submission amongst one another. And the beauty of submission is that when you submit to somebody, you release greatness in them to bless you and the world around you. For example, if um, I'm up here and I feel like the Lord has given me something to speak to every single one of you, unless you're quiet and not completely quiet, please never be completely quiet. Um, but if you weren't quiet, you, you wouldn't get the word that the Lord has. And I believe that's true with everything. That uh, we aren't big enough as know-it-alls in our community. That when we come together, that we listen to one another. That we hear the words that God is speaking through one another. And not just saying, oh yeah, I know. And let me think about what I'm going to say next. But let me really listen to you. I'll submit to what you're saying as you submit to what I'm saying. Because in that, we find part of the equation of how to live a consistent life that looks like God and loves like Jesus. If you want to live, you want to look, you want to be filled with Jesus. How practical is this? And to be honest, like the whole submitting thing and singing together and getting together, I mean, a lot of times it would be so much easier to be like, shoot, I thought I could just shut my door and read my Bible and pray all day, and then I'm going to look like Jesus. And to be honest, a lot of times I'd rather do that because this takes a little bit more work. But practically speaking, what Paul says is what you need to do is all of these things. You need to be part of a community. You need to be wise with your time. You need to sing together and edify one another. Submit to one another in love. You see, we can't just go... Say, I want to be alone in, with Jesus and sit in a tree and flagstaff all day and think this is, this is going to be the end result. It won't be. You will be running and walking and highs and lows and chaotic in your life. And I promise you, it will not reflect to the world that you live in who Jesus is. Because that's not the gospel and that's not how Jesus walked. All of these are ingredients for a meaning, satisfying life. It says, if you will submit to each other, and it ends with this, out of reverence for God. You know what that means? It's the reality of who Jesus is. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do all these things? Because of the reality of Jesus, that he is alive, that he is present, that he has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And he wants us to live a consistent life where we aren't always looking to see if the floor is about to fall out from under us, but we can look at the world that we live in to see hurting and lost people. And I pray that Jesus would just become more and more real to us as we pursue 
what Paul says here in a practical way of walking consistently in our daily life with Jesus. And let a couple of these things just grip you. Walk out of here today, grab onto a couple of things, and remember that what you do on Sunday, it doesn't matter if your Mondays are not consistent and your Tuesdays and your Wednesdays. We have to walk consistent with Jesus living in our lives. Would you pray with me?